Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. 3CR would like to acknowledge the Kulin Nations, true owners, caretakers and custodians of the land from which we broadcast. 3CR pays respect to elders, past and present of the Kulin Nation. We recognise the unceded sovereignty. This is 3CR Breakfast. Alternative news, analysis and current affairs. Monday to Friday, 7am to 8.30am. Good morning. Good morning. <laughs> the team is back together Yay. again. Yay. The A team. Yeah. <laughs> Welcome back, Ayan. Oh, thank you so much. I was going to say thank you for having me. No, um, it's good to be back. I missed everybody. But how long has it been now? It's been. Eight weeks, I mm. think. Wow. It was a lot longer. So much has happened. Um, yeah, a lot mm. has happened. Mm. But I'm, I'm good to be. I'm happy to be back. Um, I'm glad you're on the panel, by the way. I know. Like mm. I, comp- it's it's no weird. shade to the other two, but <laughs> wow. Considering oh, you've been sorry, sorry. Oh. <laughs> oh, oh, I think oh, we, <laughs> we can go there. I love it. <laughs> I love it. Um, Maybe we should do with this off air. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, what what did everybody get up to? Uh, well, three of us spent the weekend at the Anarchist Book Fair. Yes. Or part yes. of the weekend. Yeah. Super awesome. cool. I'd never been before. I no. thought it was just like a book selling event. I didn't realize it was like workshops and yeah. speak speakers and it was incredible. Mm. Did you two enjoy it? You know I did. I was yes. with you literally all day. <laughs> yeah. Good community vibes. Mm. Yeah. Learned yeah. heaps. Yes. Mm. Gary Foley spoke, yeah. which is so exciting. I'd never heard him speak before. It's phenomenal. Oh, he's yeah. incredible. And I love that. I love that he just goes off, like, not off. <laughs> he goes, he, he, there's no notes. He doesn't take mm. any notes. Everything yeah. It's just him talking, him engaging with us. And, and I love that he doesn't censor anything. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> He's got a way with words. I love it. Um, yeah. I was able to purchase some zines. Oh, yeah. Which, which ones did you get? So they're actually in my bag. I got one on the, um, what's it called? The, oh, my God, I'm drawing a blank. Abolitionist, fascism, um, anarchism. But mainly it was zines that looked at um, youth imprisonment. Mm. That was one. One yeah. that looked at... Um, uh, I guess white supremacy. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. So it was all big ideas, um, and the zines sort of made it very easy to understand. Mm. That's awesome. That's what I liked about it. Um, but I also noticed there was a lack of black literature today. Mm. Yeah, there was a lot of stuff about allyship, like weird. for white people, which you know, as a white person, yeah. useful. But yeah, not much. Yeah, because in, in our relative homelands, I'm sure there's. Like, we have that. We have anarchists. Mm. But, I don't know, for some reason, there wasn't much mm. from us. Mm. Even, mm. Even, the, even, even the literature, there wasn't any... No one was... I hardly saw anybody selling any books mm. by black folks. And I was like, oh, okay, cool, cool. But other than that, mm. it was nice. I love the family environment. 
I love that there was a kitchen. That was cute. <laughs> yeah. All the kids running around. <laughs> it was nice, right? Yeah. That'll we should fun. hijack the 3CR store next year and um, oh my God, sell yes. some mm-hmm. black girl magic. Yes. Mm-hmm. We should definitely do that. I'm, I'm all for that. Mm. Should we go to some news headlines? Okay. Um, so you have to forgive me. They're not as good as George usually does. They're a little <laughs> bit last minute. But um, all right. So yesterday... BuzzFeed Australia reported that um, the children on Manus and Nauru are, well, no longer on Manus, but on Nauru, are suffering from a rare psychological illness called resignation syndrome. Um, It's an illness where they withdraw from the world. Uh, It's a very rare psychological illness, and it is somewhat like going into hibernation. Mm -hmm. Um, Psychiatrists have said that it's an extreme protective reaction to trauma, and very dangerous because without care and treatment, children can die from it. Um, The ABC's drought appeal has raised more than $1.2 million for New South Wales farmers um, in a coordinated fundraising effort. Um, Over in China, the state media is cracking down once again, or harder, on the Xinjiang uh, Uyghur people and Kazakh people, the Muslim minorities. An official Communist Party newspaper has said that this will prevent the Xinjiang region from becoming China's Syria or China's Libya. Uh, But the United Nations Anti-Discrimination Committee has raised concerns um, about this, citing reports of mass detentions, which they've said resemble massive internment camps that are shrouded in secrecy. More than one million Uyghur Muslims are said to be be in detention in what are known as counter-extremism centres in the far west in China. An explosion flattened a residential building in Syria's war-torn northwest, killing 36 people, including 12 children. That was in the town of Samada. And in Yemen's Sada on Monday, 51 people were killed in airstrikes by a Saudi and United Arab Emirates military alliance packed by the United States. And once more back to Australia. Yesterday, Parliament passed the Higher Education Support Legislation Amendment, a Student Loan Sustainability Bill which has brought the new minimum repayment income threshold down to $44,999. So if you have a hex debt, that is the point at which you will have to start paying it back. Wait, what was that? (laughs) I missed the figure. $44,999. 44999 Okay. So just under forty-five, you will have to start paying back Mm. your hex debt. Is that higher than before? Oh, lower. lower. It's Is about $7,000 lower mm. per annum, excluding okay. super. Mm. Wow. Yeah. Hmm. And this is not official news, but on Twitter this morning when I was researching that, um, I saw a bit about Bill Shorten potentially talking about halving people's hex debts or something. I'm not sure if that's real or if that's something that someone's taken and run with. Mm. Um but it seems to be an idea that people were putting a lot of pressure on Tanya wow. Plibersack about. So that would be an interesting... I mean, that would win some votes for sure. Yeah. <laughs> mm. Still, you've got people on the island, so... Yeah. <laughs> Let's uh, yeah. prioritise. Yeah. yeah. Mm. That's interesting. Mm. God. Does that include... You know, I'm thinking about all the debts I accumulated going from different, like, university mm. to university. Is that included? Yeah. Jeez, oh, my God. See? You can check it. There's a website. Um, oh, Lord. You can just, <laughs> like, sign into it. I can't remember how, but there's a hex number somewhere. Um, and you can check your debt and how much you've paid back. I, 
I went in once and realized oh. that I had only just started paying back my interest, not even my hex debt, so I've stopped looking at it. There's mm. interest on the hex debt? Mm. I okay. thought it was interest-free. I don't know. Oh, Jesus. I just signed the bit that said, you don't have to pay this yet. <laughs> That's all I remember from it. <laughs> Jesus. Mm. And here I was well, think, looking at all these students who were paying upfront, who mm. can afford to pay upfront, mm. thinking, oh, why would you do that? The jerky's on me. Mm. Everyone looks constipated. I love yeah. that. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone's just stressed now. Also, it could be interest-free. I might have read it wrong. I don't want to say that and have people worried about interest. Okay. Well, yeah, maybe you could be right. Mm. No, no, I, I, don't, I don't have any knowledge on this at all. Mm. If it's um, not interest-free, it should be. Mm. Absolutely. Mm. Now I'm like, what have I read? Oh, God. <laughs> mm. Should we? Yeah. What have you got? I want to play this track called Woman is a Word by Empress of... The Indigenous Social Justice Association Melbourne is continuing its Stop Failing Our Kids campaign until this year's Victorian state election. We're asking people to sign an online petition and to send postcards to Premier Daniel Andrews, calling for his government to abandon plans to build a $288 million youth prison at Cherry Creek. We want that money directed to culturally appropriate programs to address the underpinning issues rather than incarcerating children. For more information and to sign the petition, visit Istra Melbourne's Facebook page. Postcards are available at 3CR and locations listed at istramelbourne.com. Premier, it's time your government stopped failing the kids. It's Jim Melbourne is a 3CR supporter. 3CR are selling kefir, Palestinian scarves in support of the last factory that produces them in Hebron, Palestine. All profits will be donated to the reconstruction efforts in Gaza and support Palestinian industry. These are traditional scarves available in red and black, or you can choose from a modern design. Go to 3cr.org.au slash shop to buy online or drop into the station during business hours. Able-bodied Australia does not realise that people with disabilities across the board are being discriminated against. Then the government to demand that we go out and get a job without removing the disincentives like the lack of access to transport and community infrastructure, without providing accessible buildings that can provide barrier-free employment. I'm not getting a fair go and I don't like it and I'm saying so. You're listening to 3CR, 8.55 on the AM Dial. Guatemala, I'm Black Betty, and you can join me for Black Noise Radio each Thursday from 2 to 3 p.m. Join me each week as I serve you up a deadly fine offering of all things black as we explore black Australia and everything fabulous it has on the offer. We'll check out and see what's making black news locally and from right around Australia. And we'll explore all things Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander and the deadly solid culture and people with a look at community news, views, music, culture and the arts. 
Hope you can join me for Black Noise Radio featuring black news, views, current affairs, music, culture and the arts from an Aboriginal woman's perspective. That's me, Black Betty. I'll see you Thursdays at 2. You're listening to Tuesday Breakfast at 3CR. We're going to play a video now. Well, it'll be an audio, I guess, <laughs> for you all listening, which is on South Sudanese Australians and how it feels when the media makes you an enemy. And it's the group of people that organised the protest against Channel 7. So it's just uh, loading up. <laughs> just be a second. That's why... Yes, that's why you've got to support community radio so we can skip ads. So, there's that. Turn that into. And it's also from Vice. And hopefully, shouldn't be too much longer. Oh, we've got seven seconds. Yeah, (laughs) we've saved you. Announcements are just the worst. (laughs) All right, get Netflix. We'll put it on. After Malcolm Turnbull went on national TV and said that shit. Now I have to be aware of my presence as a black woman, as a black person, in every single yeah. space that's dominated by white people. Yeah. Yeah. When I get on the train, I have to tell myself, Bloke, make yourself small. Make yourself small. Yeah. I don't yes. want to make myself small. Yeah. And imagine my six foot, you know, seven foot brother. How is he going to fucking make himself small? <laughs> because our Prime that's Minister put that image out there, yeah, that's the he's going to look like a thug. Yeah, It's very clear to me, we all, uh, we don't chill with each other 24-7. I barely know these guys. But we all have similar experience. From the cops to the uh, media to people giving you a look to the way you just treat it. It's very clear. Yeah, and and just like that. You know, like the population of South Sudanese in Australia, we're very tiny. You know, like, yeah, 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 that's it. But we're so big because of the media and their generalization. But I want to say this right before we we even continue, right? We stand with the victim of all these crimes, right? In terms of any crime that's happening, I would never come out and say that a victim shouldn't have their voice be heard. You know, none of us are supporting any of the negative stuff that's happening here, right? I don't want someone to come up to me and go, Oh, why are you guys trying to take away voices from the victims? I'm like, No, not at all. It's horrible what's happened to these people. They should not yeah. feel unsafe in their own homes or in their own environment. Yeah. They shouldn't feel like if they see me, right, I'm not a part of their community and they need to fear me, right? Mm. That's when, let's work together mm. to stop this. To stop the, all the negative the crime in general. To, yeah. you know I mean? Australia is a beautiful country and it gave it's us so much opportunity. Like being in Melbourne, I, I, I'm so blessed to be here right now. Let us be a part of this society. Let us contribute what what we've been contributing. I'm Australian, like yeah. you feel me? I, yeah. I'm telling you, I went to primary school, all these people, all my friends, you know, yeah. everyone. I, I grew up, up in Australia. Australia. I am Australian, right? Yeah. I am Australian. Yeah. But in politics, in the media, am I Australian? Fuck no. Yeah. Let's be serious. Fuck yeah. no. It's like like the day after Mumba, right? Yes. I'm just, I have my headphones on, I'm going to school, Straight right? And it's everyone staring at you like you're about to do something. <laughs> like there's like all these heroes in the crowd, just ready to run at you because they expect you to do something, right? Yeah. And imagine feeling that for the whole day where I'm like, yo, leave me the fuck alone. Hold up. Let me just go on my... You know, like a, if you see the picture of this lady, right? It's an old 
nice looking lady, right? <laughs> nah, she looks so nice. She looks so kind, yeah. right? Like she Roseanne. goes, what yeah. more do you want? You people in Canberra, this is our country. Please send them back. They don't deserve to be here. and they are, they are used to fighting and destroying other people's businesses, lives, and homes. For God's sake, can't you mm. see what is happening? We will be taken over by them. Okay. And that is for sure. You are a bunch of idiots if you don't see this happening. Mm. The nicest looking lady ever, right? No. She's a young chick. No, don't she say says, anything. I say concealed firearms should be considered in Australia. If they're yeah. that much of a danger, they should be shot. Wow. 360 people liked it. Wow. This is on the my, my, you know, my video. Like, you know? them, bro. Bro, those are just comments. Imagine a headline from 7 News. Read that. And that, pay attention to the guy who did the murder yes. and the victim. A man has been charged with the murder of a trade. 21 year old Sadiq Husseini was attacked outside his local milk bar on Thursday night. 20 year old Ricky Jared faced Melbourne Magistrate's Court last night charged with murder. Look at the interaction. 88 years only because mm. the nigga was Muslim. Yeah. Killed by a white guy. Nobody's interested in that story. I was looking for a job for the longest time as a WAC. A WAC is That's my name. That's my identity. That's who I am. I had a resume that I was applying to, a whole bunch of different jobs. None of them got back to me. I was declined from each and every one of them until I changed my name to Monica. Wow. Didn't yeah. change anything else. I bet they called they, you back after that. They did. Wow. Yeah. All of the places that I applied to beforehand, yeah. within a day, they replied to me. Yeah. You can't really blame these managers because they come from a conditioned mind. Yeah. Some of them are not even aware they're doing this. We play, we play basketball. Yeah. It just happens to be a group of um, black kids, right? Because we're all cousins, we're all friends, right? Yeah. And we all know each other and we feel comfortable, right? We feel yeah. comfortable together, right? Teams of like five police cars, right? Yeah. SWAT police, I'm not talking about normal police. Come with their cars, they pull yeah. up pop out all of them together yeah. and they walk to you, right? Yeah. And they start just staring at you. Well imagine playing basketball, all these sweatings, right? And helicopters come over, right? And they're just staring at you. And then horses, like yeah. police horses, regularly come and they just stare at you. Yeah. That's intimidating. For no reason you know what like, they did. How would you feel if somebody rolled up on your kids like that while they were just playing basketball? How would yeah. you feel if a whole bunch of men in these big suits and guns and to all of this stuff yeah. Yeah. came to your child and with that question, they were ready to beat exactly. them. How would you not be upset? Would like, you not be? Do you, do you, know, do you know? I had a police like like four police officers come into my house. They arrested my brother. Yeah. They took my brother to the police station, and I went with I went with my brother, right? Yeah. And they accused him of um of stealing a car. They took out a picture, right? They said, oh, this is this is a picture. Um, uh, this is this is the evidence that we have. It's not my brother. This kid is like this kid is like five 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 or something. My brother's six three. I looked at the police. I'm like, really? So now my mom looks at my my brother as this kid. Like I had to sit down with my mom and tell my mom that my brother my brother is the most innocent kid I know. Like when the media comes down on hard, when our politicians come down hard on us. <laughs> the police will act brutally toward us. Yeah. The majority, the wider Australian, will look at us a certain ways and will get ostracized from the community. You speak to someone like a criminal every day. One day, I, I swear, they'll feel like a criminal. Yeah. They're going to believe themselves exactly they're criminals. Yeah, now flip the script and say, yeah. if we put in front of these people, which are the white majority, that sit behind the TV every 6 p.m. and say, that's the criminal. Every day you do that, that's the criminal. Yeah. Even if they know that person is not the criminal, their subconscious mind has come to already believe that's, that's the criminal. That's it, yeah. When people like Peter Dutton, Malcolm Turnbull and Matthew Guy, people in high office, 
um, say those things about African gang and demonize our community in a certain way, mm. you would have to understand you're setting a precedent, mm. which would happen with other politicians. Yeah. Uh, whoa, Malcolm Turnbull was successful yeah. when he did this to yeah. the African mm. community. Yeah. You know what, let me chime in about something, yeah. and I yeah. might give them a solution at the end of the day. Demonizing our community sets a very scary precedent for the future. They're in those positions yeah. to help society, right? Yeah. To look out for all of us as Australians, right? Fuck your politics. Fuck you trying to get at like this other person in this position, right? Because yeah. you're thinking in a, like a chess game, like, yo, I'm going to be yeah. in this position. I want these votes, right? Yeah. That's not your fucking job. Your fucking job is to make sure that Australia moves forward as a society. That you can better society and all of it. If I'm a citizen yeah. of this country, you ain't going to tell me to do nothing. Yeah. You're not going to tell yeah. me to go nowhere. Because yeah. I'm Australian, you Australian. When yeah. you have problems, I'm not going to say, you go back to England. Or yeah. you go back to India. Or you go back to Asia. I'm going to be like, we need to fix it. <laughs> If you want to hear us slam the atomic industry, then tune into the Radioactive Show on 3CR, 10 a.m. Saturdays. Great Voices CDs on 3CR. These CDs are a unique collection. Now you can go to 3cr.org.au and you can order online all the 20 CDs, 15 issues, for $160 postage pay. Or check the individual issues and read each track on it. Every major singer is on there. You'll be excited and entranced. Go to 3cr.org.au now and check out the wonderful Great Voices CDs. Genocide here is a lot more sneaky than it is in Rwanda or other places around the world. It's one thing white fellas learnt in the last 200 years to be very sneaky about their genocide. You look at the 38 nations that were here before white settlement and then you count up the numbers that are still surviving, still out there doing their business on their country. Well, there's only 25 left, so what happened to the other 13? Let's talk about the Black GST. Genocide to be stopped, sovereignty acknowledged and treaties made. Tune in to Fire First every Wednesday from 11am till 12 midday on 3CR with Robbie Thorpe. Welcome back. You're listening to Tuesday Breakfast with myself, Ayan, Lauren, George, Anya. And we have a special guest who we will introduce soon. We just wanted to apologise for the swearing in the audio that we just played Um we just didn't vet it properly. I was going to try and explain it, but we just didn't, yeah. and I'm really sorry about that. So mm. I hope that um, nobody was offended by that, but please yes. feel free to give us a ring and chat about it if you are. Really? Yeah. <laughs> give me a ring. Yeah. Not I am. Yes. <laughs> Direct it to Lauren. And so 
We are very lucky to have Hannah Viney join us in the studio today to talk about the Australian Women's History Network Symposium that was held in July. Uh, but just a quick introduction about Hannah. Um, Hannah is an MA candidate at Monash University researching Australian women's anti-nuclear activism in the 50s and 60s. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. Hi, thank you for having me. This is really exciting. <laughs> it's my first time on radio. Wow, that's cool. Well, I'm glad that we're the first, yeah, Tuesday morning. You get that pleasure. Your first experience. <laughs> Hopefully it's a good one. I'm sure it will be. <laughs> so can you tell us a bit about the Australian Women's History Network Symposium that was held in yeah. July? Yeah, it was a really great day. Um, so I was really lucky to attend and present at it. So it was a one-day symposium. It had... Oh, it's really hard to tell, sort of, I don't know, 40, 50 people there um, from all across different fields, from outside academia as well, which was fantastic. It opened up a lot of conversations between people. Um, and the focus was, I think its official title was The Past is a Position. So it was really about activism and academia and how those things intersect. Yeah. Yeah. And that's really cool that, it, yeah, it sounded like there were speakers that were working in specific fields as well as academics. Yeah. It wasn't just academics, you know. Yeah. It's really easy, like, in, in conferences for academics to kind of get in your own little network and ignore other people. So it's yes. really good that we had that group come together. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the topic is just so exciting, the, the idea of bridging activism and academia. I was so excited when I heard about <laughs> it. It's like, this is right up my alley. Yeah. Yeah. And it seems like a conversation that needs to be had. Definitely. So much mm. at the moment. There's such a divide between, you know, those two sort of pursuits. There is, yeah. There's sort of, <coughs> excuse me, there's the idea that, you know, there's two separate worlds of activists and academics. And I think at this time in our in life and, you know, in the world itself, it's a really great time to be joining those. Yep, definitely. Um, because there is a lot of activism around in social media and in the news, and it's a really great time for activism academics to be like at the forefront of that yeah, movement yeah and what and looking at what academics can do for yeah, the yeah. community as opposed to for their own little yeah endeavors yeah. we get out of our ivory tower yeah. and actually make a change it's really yeah. great um and so you wrote a really great article about the symposium thank you <laughs> um and so for anyone listening we'll post a link to that up on our facebook page um in your article you mentioned barbara bed Yes. Um, Chelsea Bond, Suvendrini Pereira, who spoke about bridging academia and activism and the idea of ethical activism. What does that mean? I really loved this idea because it really spoke to some of the concerns and questions I've been having about academia. So I think for me, ethical activism is the idea that we can join the two of them and that academics, I think it was, it was Baird who brought up this idea and she was talking about her experience um, using her academic knowledge in her activist campaigns. And so it's the idea that we have privileged knowledge as academics sometimes and so we need to use that. You know, we have this sort of responsibility to use that knowledge in the wider community to affect change. That's really cool. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I feel like there would be a lot of, yeah, a lot of academics in a similar boat who are in these institutions that maybe they're highly critical of and they want to find a way to sort of navigate that and do important work but not kind of, for, you know, conform to the status yeah, quo in those yeah. institutions. It's really hard because, I mean, when I came into this, I was like, I really love research. I love historical research. But I've been questioning, like, what can I do with that? How does that help the wider community? And so... 
when I went to this opening plenary at, at the symposium and they were talking about this ethical academia, I was like, yes, that's me. That's exactly what I need to hear to help me kind of realise, okay, that I can make a difference while still being in the history field yeah. and pursuing research. Yeah, that's awesome because I imagine it might get to a point where you sort of lose sight of what I'm actually doing like, and this yeah. would really bring you back to earth. Yeah, it was like a really good important. reminder. Yeah. yeah. And so... Um, Anne Curthoys and Crystal McKinnon, who closed the discussion, also reinforced the connections between activism and academia, um, whilst acknowledging the current tensions. What are the tensions, and do you think they are more prevalent today than in previous years? I think, I mean, it's hard to say prevalence, but certainly the tensions are there. Um, I think it's really hard as an academic to combine your identity with your activist identity sometimes, especially sort of in the precarious job market, especially for early career researchers and postgraduates. You know, you have this idea that, you know, you want to get a job and you know there's not many jobs out there. And so if you sort of, it's, it can feel intimidating sometimes to use your academic persona, so to speak, as lo- alongside your activist persona. You know, if you separate them and you're just an activist in your personal life and then an academic in your professional life, then it feels a bit safer. Whereas, you know, so I think that's part of the tension that comes into it. I don't know if it's more prevalent, excuse me, prevalent (laughs) now. Um, It's certainly, obviously, you know, because these established academics were talking about it at the symposium, it's clear that it's been going on for a while. Um, I think it could be more obvious or more noticeable now with social media because it's really easy to sort of, you know, feel like you should be putting out activist ideas on social media, but then you're also using Twitter, you know, for professional prospects. Mm. And so I know I, I know I feel sometimes like I want to like a tweet or retweet something, but then I question, what if this will affect my career prospects later on? Yeah. You know, what if someone sees this and goes, oh, she's a bit political or something? So it's a bit sort of intimidating from yep. that point of view. Yeah. And is, is that an issue in the academic space, if you are known to be too political? Is that, can that... Not necessarily. I feel like... It depends on the people, but it's sort of the threat is there. Yeah. So it may not affect your prospects. I mean, a lot of academics are obviously very, like, you know, career, sorry, community motivated and very much wanting to make change. I mean, they're, they're coming from universities. They've done a lot of research. They can be quite liberal, but they can also, you know, there is some that are a bit more conservative and stuff. And so it's just the threat. I think. Yeah, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And then on the other side, do you think, you know, in terms of um, activists uh, who are in those academic spaces, do you think that there's a tension on that side as well in terms of trusting, you know, the academy? (laughs) Yeah, I mean, the academy has very long been like, you know, in its own little world. Yes. Um, And so I think sort of for activists, it would be quite hard sometimes to trust that the people you're working with are coming from the right place. Yeah. Um, I mean, there's a lot of research done on activists, so you might feel like a guinea pig sometimes, yeah. even though most academics who are doing that research are not going at it from that point of view. They're going at it. They really want to be a part of this community. But it's really hard to trust, like, the other, so to speak, sometimes. Yeah, yeah. and then there's that history of of how, you know, what academic research has been used for in yeah. the past and, yeah. you know, and probably still research that continues to be problematic today. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's not like we've hit the 21st century, therefore there's no problematic research. Yeah. It still exists, unfortunately. Yeah. And so um, there was also some speakers from the Multicultural Centre for Women's Health who discussed their work with migrant and refugee women, so Monique Hamid and Rosie Ariel. Can you elaborate on what they discussed? Yeah, so they were talking about sort of the work that they were doing with refugee and migrant women um, and the programs that they'd created to help them sort of settle into society um, and get support that they needed. 
Um, I think what spoke to me most about their presentation was this idea that we can have conversations between outside academia and inside academia. So they were coming from outside the institution. Um, they had never done academic work in any way, but they came to this conference, they fit in, their presentation spoke to the same themes that everybody else was speaking to. And so I think it was a really good um, example that there is connections to be made, that we can share ideas across the sort of the boundaries that we've kind of constructed um, so that we can see that other people outside and inside are talking about the same things and can actually help each other. Yeah. And did they have specific ideas about what that, you know, what academics can do for this issue? Um, not really. They were sort of more, I think... Their presentation was more an opening to the conversation. Mm -hmm. So they were sort of giving the history of their work and what they were doing and where they are going in the future. But because it was at an academic conference, it was sort of really, you know, bridging the gap and sort of saying, come on yeah. in, yeah. you know, you can join us. We don't know exactly how you can help us, but you can help us in some way. Yeah, right. So starting this conversation. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah, cool. And I know that history is often about looking at the past, but I'm also wondering what predictions do you have for the future of academia and activism? That's a very good question. <laughs> totally the opposite to what I do all the time. Yeah. Um, I really hope that this conversation continues. Um, I think it's a great conversation. I think it's very relevant to our time. I mean, we've got Me Too happening and things like that that are everywhere. There's now Me Too PhD has been happening. Um, and as part of the symposium for the Australian Women's History Network, they also released a report that they had done on sexual harassment in academia, particularly in the history field, but also in other fields as well. And it really showed that it's very prevalent. Um, and so I think that's a really good way of showing that Academics are bridging into those activist pathways. They are sort of using their knowledge and their research skills even to try and make a change. So I really hope that this conversation does continue. I mean, with symposiums like this one, it's showing that people are interested. Yeah. There was a great showing of support that people turned up. There was people that obviously weren't presenting as well turned up, showing that people are you know, really excited to have this opportunity to discuss these things. So I think for the future, I, I think with social media it's going to be easier to have these discussions. It's easier to connect with people overseas and in different fields um, without having to leave your bed. <laughs> so I think, you know, we've got a good chance if we keep the push going to really reach out and, and make some changes. Mm -hmm. That's great to hear. It really sounds like there's some momentum. Yeah, there. yeah, yeah, I think there is. Um, like I'm seeing in my cohort that's coming up now, you know, we're all baby historians, we're baby academics. But I'm seeing a lot of push that we can, like, make a difference. And yeah. Yeah. That's cool as. <laughs> well, thank you so much for your time this morning. Thank Hannah. you for having me. Yeah. This is so exciting. <laughs> Cheers. Uh, hi, my name's Sarah. I love coming here because they offer vegan food. Hi, my name's Paul. I've, this is my first time at Friends of the Earth. I think it's really awesome and the food's great. Really healthy and nutritious. La, la, la. Friends of the Earth Food Co-op, 312 Smith Street, Collingwood. A tuneful experience. This is Irene Bolger, former Secretary of the Nurses' Federation in Victoria. Throughout the nurses' dispute in 1986 and the waterfront dispute in 1998, 3CR was always there, broadcasting the voices of workers in struggle. You're listening to 3CR Community Radio and we're broadcasting live from the Bay to Chicken Strike here in Melbourne. 
we've just seen all of the thousands of nurses walk through to their meeting and people from different unions showing their solidarity. 3CR, radio for the workers, by the workers, since 1976. Hi, I'm Maurice. And I'm Mario. And we're Chronically Chronically Chilled. A program that aims to provide a platform to those living with chronic and invisible illness, as well as exploring topics that impact on our daily lives. Listen to Chronically Chilled, the first Wednesday of every month at 6pm. Rumination, 3CR's Rooming House and Homeless Persons Issues Program, featuring information on health and housing services, as well as live local guests, artists and performers from our unsung community. Join us at 12pm on Thursday on 3CR 855 AM. Yeah. 2018 marks 20 years since senior traditional owner Yvonne Margarula invited supporters to come to Mirar Country within Kakadu National Park to blockade the proposed Jabaluka uranium mine. Thousands answered the call. The mine was stopped. To commemorate this extraordinary anniversary, Conjaitme Aboriginal Corporation and the Australian Conservation Foundation have produced a gorgeous commemorative calendar. Standing Strong, Jabaluka 20 Years is a piece of history you don't want to miss. Order your copy today at mirar.net. That's M-I-R-A-R-R dot net. A 3CR supporter. You're listening to Tuesday Breakfast at 3CR. If you've just tuned in, we had a little chat with Hannah Viney, uh, from the, uh, who wrote an article um, about the Australian Women's History Network Symposium. And now we're going to hear a track by Dreaming Now, <laughs> Anya's personal favourite, and this song is called Indigenous Land. Everywhere we walk upon in this world, one indigenous group of another has once lived there before for thousands and thousands of years. One of the most intricate and respectful ways to inhabit that place. It always was indigenous lands, always will be. And now, well, welcome back to Tuesday Breakfast on 3CR Community Radio. We have on the line with us now Dr. Nicole Carnes, who is the director of XYX Lab, um, a senior lecturer and program coordinator in the Interior Architecture School and the Deputy Associate Dean of Research at Monash University. Wow, busy lady. Thank you for joining us this morning, Nicole. Good morning. So, um, Honestly, we could ask you to talk about probably a million things with a resume like that, but <laughs> um, I'm particularly interested today in um, this XYX lab that you are the director of. Uh, what is it and how did you become involved? Well, I'm actually the founding director of the lab and it's a research lab that's at Monash University and we are in the Faculty of Art, Design and Architecture, which is slightly unusual because we're a lab that um, does research into urban space and gender. So we're really... Um, interdisciplinary creative people thinking about the ways that gender finds itself in cities and we're really interested to see how cities shape the way we identify and also then how gender can shape cities. So that's kind of the research that we do. 
It's so fascinating. Um, and so an example, it's uh, an example of um, what you do, I guess, that I found really interesting is this free to be. Um, can yeah. you talk about that? Sure. The free to be project is really interesting because it's really a project that aims to surface the stories of young girls and women. And it was commissioned by Plan International, which is a, essentially a children's charity organisation. And they work all around the world doing lots of really important work. But they noticed um, in kind of around 2016 that they had this wonderful, not so wonderful statistic that women and girls were modifying their behaviour all the time in cities. And um, what that kind of kind of means is that they were um, changing the way they might go about um, engaging in public spaces. They weren't going out late at night. A whole range of things that were really um, kind of important for us to unpack. And so they um, partnered with the XYX Lab to really think about what all of this meant. And essentially what they did is they piloted a, it's called a geolocative mapping tool, and probably people in Melbourne saw it at the time where you could put in a pin on a particular space in the city and then say, uh, talk about the kinds of experiences that happen to you in that space. And so I guess what this did is it moved from things like the way that police, for example, collect data, which is generally about postcodes and kind of large areas of the city, to really being able to see very specific things that were happening in very specific places for particularly young women. And women attached their stories to those spots and what the XYX lab at Monash did was to code all of that data and really think about the nuances of particular areas in the city. Um, and so then that project has expanded beyond Melbourne and has just recently um, we've, we've done a similar but much larger survey in Sydney, in Kampala, in Lima, in Madrid and in Delhi, so all around the world. And um, we're about to launch a whole lot of media around those projects in October. Amazing. And and yeah. so are you talking about things like, um, I don't know, the first stuff that springs to mind for me is like lighting or um, just, you know, alleyway versus more open street or um, whether or not there are cars coming through. And that, is that the sort of stuff you're looking at or? It is, it is that stuff. So um, there are lots of comments from young women around infrastructure and the quality of city spaces, which, of course, um, my disciplinary background is an architect and landscape architect. So those things are really interesting. But um, what we are really finding is that women and girls' experiences is completely um, tainted by sexual harassment. And so most of the stories are about one form of sexual violence or another against women, perpetrated against women in city spaces. And some of the data can code for really interesting things like the amount of sexual harassment that comes from groups of men in cars. So mm. young women call this curb calling um, or the kinds of places where women are most likely to be sexually harassed, which may not be surprising to you. A lot of that occurs in public transport spaces. Yeah. So we can really start to see where particular types of spaces are conducive to sexual harassment. And what we know, and I'm saying this because of your comment about the laneways, one of the interesting things about this research that we discovered is that, you know, it's not laneways and dark alleys. It's, you know, really busy places all the time. Very transitory places is where women and girls are having really negative um, experiences and feel very unsafe. So um, there's lots of kind of nuanced data that emerges, which perhaps we didn't, we definitely didn't know before. Mm, that's fascinating. Um, and so recently you held some workshops for a new project called She City. Uh, what were they all about? Well, it was, um, I guess it's, it's kind of become a bit of a brand, She City for the XYX Lab. But what we do with all this data is because we're a feminist 
framework organisation, if you like. We, our kind of goal is to bring young women and very diverse groups of women into contact with the people that design cities. So rather than me as, as some kind of expert in urban spaces kind of saying, oh, here you go, this is what you need, what we do is we actually bring, for example, public transport providers, police authorities, urban planners into a room with, you know, people that aren't designers but are young women and ask them to think about how they might redesign city spaces together and we call this process co-design. Mm. So um, it's really about thinking how um, young women are really experts in their own experiences and asking, you know, these, the, the generalist experts to really think about the different experiences that women are having because often those stories aren't shared and they're not acknowledged. So this is a really important part of what we do. And I guess what I'm leading towards is that She City was a huge workshop but also a storytelling um, event where we were surfacing women's stories. Mm. Yeah, that idea of co-design, it's so important in these, um, yeah, you, to be an expert in your own experience. Um, and mm. it's it's not something I've ever thought about in designing cities, but it makes perfect sense. Um, mm. And so has this sort of, this model that you're working with, this co-designing model, has it worked anywhere else? Like, has it been successful in other parts of the world? Sure. Um, people use co-design all the time, so but they, they might use it for different kind of endpoints. So we're using it particularly around young women. Um, designers would do co-design in all different kinds of design activities. It could be in, the, in medicine or in um, product design, but we're specifically thinking about this with, with a, this kind of feminist lens. In terms of it being applied elsewhere in the world in the same way that we apply it, we know that um, there's a very successful, what they describe as a gender mainstreaming initiative in Vienna, which has been going for over 20 years. And it's really interesting because not only do, do women are women involved in the, the processes of designing the city, but they also do this wonderful thing, which they give all of equal resources to women in the city. So that means that all of the money kind of spent around civic projects, um, indeed, all of the material of the city has to have a gender lens associated mm. with it. And they really um, can now, 20 years later, start to document the impact of actually real commitment to those kinds of ideas. And, of course, making cities better for women often, always, makes them better for everybody. So mm. there's lots of wonderful flow-on effects from this process. It's so interesting. I, when I was reading about your work yesterday, I lived in Vienna for a while and oh, wow. never once felt unsafe there. And it's it's really interesting because I could never pinpoint why it was so different to every other city that I'd travelled to or whatever. But it, I could walk home at two a.m. never it never felt unsafe. Um, wow! It yeah. makes yeah, it makes a huge difference. Mm. Mm. It's um, uh, I think a really special time to be analysing the success of that project because it does take cities are, are long projects and it takes a long time to really yeah. see change so um, it's great to hear that feedback hmm. and so where can people find out more about the work of XYX Lab if we'd like to follow along we um, are obviously on the Monash um, website and they just need to google XYX Lab and, and I'm sure that they will find us Fantastic. Um, and we have an array of our projects on our um, website so they can see all the different things to do. We do stuff with LGBTIQ communities, so there's lots of things to kind of look at and share. Brilliant. Thank you so much for your time today, Dr Nicole Combs from Monash. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks. Great. Bye. And just before we go to a community announcement, I just wanted to give the number for 1-800-RESPECT in case all of that talk about sexual harassment raised anything for you. The number is 1-800-737-732. Hello, this is Archie Roach and you're listening to 
Good music on 855 AM on 3CR. Always bringing you the latest union news. They're coming after us at the moment. They want to get rid of penalty rates, the big push from businesses. They want to get rid of all the things that you and I have fought for. So there's tens of thousands of jobs gone, contracted out to sham contracting arrangements. On 8.55am and on the web, 3cr.org.au. CR has all kinds of music programs for you to hear. From blues to hip-hop, reggae, classical, punk, jazz, soul, indigenous, experimental, indie, metal and other music styles. Check out 3cr.org.au on the World Wide Web for more info. You're listening to Tuesday Breakfast on 3CR with Ayan, Lauren, George and myself, Anya. We're very, very excited now. Um, we have Alison Whitaker in the studio. Hello, Alison. Thank you so much for having me. It's great <laughs> to be here. Oh, all that applause for me. So maybe I'll just do a brief introduction um, first. So Alison is a Gomoroi poet, life writer and essayist from Guneda and Tamworth, northwestern New South Wales. She now lives in Sydney on Wongal land and has recently returned from the US where she received a 2017 Fulbright Indigenous Postgraduate Scholarship to complete a Master of Laws at Harvard. Her poem, Many Girls White Linen, received the Judith Wright Poetry Prize in 2017. She's the author of Lemons in the Chicken Wire, the debut collection that established her as a powerful new voice in poetry. So she's joining us in the studio today to talk about her next book. Um, so maybe we'll just start with that. Can you tell us more about your new book? Yeah, sure. So Black Work is a little bit different. It's a collection of poetry, but also a little bit of prose, a little bit of, I guess, like reportage, uh, essays and memoir, as well as a sneaky little bit of fiction that I try my hand at. I don't know how well. Mm. Um, but it's all focused around uh, how Indigenous bodies and country are used to kind of fortify this country in particular, mm. kind of looking back into the past, but also trying to look forward to see what future vision that can have for us, whether it's dystopic or utopic. Mm, that's really exciting. Yeah, thank um, you. Who and or what influences your work? A- everything. I think um, ours is a culture that's really story rich, but also is rich in how it uses language. Mm. So it's hard not to draw inspiration just from everyday conversations mm. and like kind of that vocal storytelling. Um, but also like we've got a fantastic history of the written word as well. So mm. um, Melissa Lukashenko, Ellen Van Nieven, uh, and the three poets that I know you attended uh, the event at the Wheeler Centre mm. last night. So Laniuk, Serena Ray, and India Money, um, all fantastic, really exciting emerging poets. And I'm mm. so excited to see what they do next. Yeah. They really inspired me to yeah. go up on that stage and talk about, <laughs> um, I guess, the creative labour of Indigenous women and mm. what it can do. Yeah. The event yesterday was fantastic, by the way. Thank you. And if you missed it, um, too bad for you. <laughs> it will be it will be recorded, I think. Well, it was oh, recorded, amazing. so Melbourne's spoken word, I think, will be putting it up soon. Oh, great. All right. Um, and you're also studying law at Harvard, excuse me. Um, 
does that influence your poetry at all? And so how, how does it influence your work? Yeah, I mean, um, I finished at Harvard now, thank God. Um, <laughs> and it was a profoundly weird place and it definitely influenced. The so back work was written here mm. on this continent, but it was edited when I was over there. Mm. And I was editing it under a portrait of some French judge from the 1600s and like to think as I was like editing this collection that that portrait itself was older than like colonization in Australia. Mm. It just seemed really strange that like, it's a, a profound, uh, Harvard's a profoundly uh, unstable place that's constantly trying to like ground itself in something. Mm. And when I was there especially, they were coming to terms with the fact that on their 200th anniversary, they were founded by a guy who had his entire wealth from like plantations and slave labor. Mm. And what does it mean to have a law school that aims for justice that's founded on those bodies? Mm. Uh, and that was something that I guess really stayed with me as I edited this work, kind of that gravity of inherited wealth um, and where it goes. And mm. trying to translate that into words is not always uh, perfect, but I think it can come through through structure mm. and um, I guess those softer things that poets can work with. Mm. And you talked a little bit yesterday about um, some of the fam- famous quotation marks um, <laughs> cases that you're sort of translate, uh, recreating oh, in your yeah. book. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? Sure. So I'm really interested in the way that poetry can kind of stand as a form of legal scholarship. So not everyone reads law reviews, not everyone reads case briefs. Mm. But thank God for that. Yeah, thank God. <laughs> Uh, but, you know, people can read like a three-page poem. So in Black Work, there are three poems that are part of a broader project I'm trying to do where I go through and I get a computer, because I'm lazy, uh, to pick out um, the most common three-word phrases mm-hmm. that appear in those texts. Mm-hmm. And when you kind of pull them all together, you get this kind of like tapestry of what Australian law thinks is important and kind of like a summation of its values. So it really works as like a critical whiteness exercise mm-hmm. um, and really brings out the bones of the law for you to watch. Mm-hmm. It can be really grueling. I know um, in the, I did one of the poems uh, using the coronial decision uh, into the death of Ms. Du. Mm-hmm. And in that, this kind of obsession with documentation about faultlessness, mm-hmm. um, about kind of like the clinical procedure rather than the violence that precipitated mm-hmm. her death. Mm-hmm. Like you could see what the coroner saw and what the coroner saw is definitely not what we saw in that mm-hmm. footage. Mm-hmm. Mm, amazing. Um, how do you think the medium of poetry, and we talked a little bit about this in the kitchen before, um, how do you think the medium of poetry can inspire change or influence activism as opposed to other forms of writing or even other forms of art? Mm, I mean, I think it's kind of an equal footing, mm. I think, to influence. Uh, poetry is a, a medium, and I think um, a lot of people kind of deify it. Mm. Unnecessarily. I mean, mm. poetry can do wonderful things, but like also pe- the right have poetry as much as we do. Jordan mm. Peterson has poetry as much as we have poetry. Mm. Um, so in terms of how it can influence, I think the things that poetry is good at is its density, mm. uh, its capacity to affect people in ways that they don't know how. Um, and it's also kind of open for whatever people bring to it, mm. which uh, I think is exciting, I think, compared to other mediums that might be more prescriptive in the way they make meaning. Mm. But also poetry in the age that we have now of organising, where a lot of it is online, Mm. um, I think its density really serves that kind of outreach purpose well. Um, I think that's underutilised though, like, and Mm. people kind of like speak with a bit of contempt about Instagram poetry. But Mm. I think uh, what's that? What that's showing is that there's some market for meaning out there, Mm. and it can be something other than a market. It can be a transformative tool, Mm. um, because often the ideas that we try to express are really simple. 
Poetry mm. doesn't have to be complicated. Mm. Um, poetry just is kind of like whatever we bring to it. Mm. It's not a sacred medium. Yeah, I like that point about um, Instagram poetry because that receives mm. a lot of um, criticism. Mm. But I guess if it means something to someone, is it really a bad thing? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's hard to know. And people are searching for meaning in lots of different ways. Yeah. If poetry doesn't adapt to the internet, that's fine. It doesn't always. Poetry has long history of adapting and not adapting. Mm. It has many threads, and that's part of the joy of being a poet. Yeah. Um, but, you know, this is kind of like where people are at right now. They're already creating this meaning. Mm. So whether or not we welcome them to the canon, yeah. <laughs> like that's going to make zero difference. This is how people engage with poetry. Yeah. And there's also a, a sort of a classist aspect of mm. wanting poetry to be in a certain way or being, yeah. you know, read in a certain way. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, and you were going to perform an excerpt from your book. Is yes. that right? But before <laughs> that, um, how can people get their hands on black work? Uh, so black work will be out in September. Mm. Uh, so it should be at all good bookstores and probably some shit ones. But <laughs> 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 um, And if all else stays, you can uh, pre-order it on, I think, uh, just try Magabala.com. All right. Yeah. We'll put that all on Facebook. Yes, great. So now, the best part of this interview. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Many girls, white linen. No mist, no mystery, no hanging rock only. Many girls, white linen. Men with guns and harsher things. White women amongst gums, white linen starcher things. Later, planks will mark this war. Nails peeling back, floor scrubbing back, black chores, white lux hangnails, hanging, more than nails, while no palm growing paler. Later, plaques will mark this sick linen's rotten cotton jeans. Later, plaques will track the try to bleed lineage dry. Its banks now flood a new ancestor ordeal, plats this our blood. If evil is banal, how more boring is suffering evil to bloodlines from it, how more raw, rousing, horrifying is the plaque that marks something else rolling on from this place. Mm. A roll of white linen dropped on slight incline amongst gums collecting grit where black girls hang nails, hang out, picking them hang nails. Thank you. That was beautiful. <laughs> Thank you so much once again for joining us in the studio today. It's an honour. Thanks for having me. And you're welcome to come back anytime. Oh, well, if you insist. <laughs> Three CR. What are you supposed to do? Community radio. Eight five five. I am. Indigenous people in Australia and the Pacific have borne the brunt of nuclear testing. And this was not done unconsciously. We found documents in the British archives saying that, yes, there is uh, certain hazards, but only to primitive peoples, those that don't wear clothes and don't wash, unlike us British. So the sort of racism inherent in this whole operation was known and understood from the beginning that these were the casualties of a larger imperial policy and that they were able to bear the brunt because there were very small populations and didn't have much political voice. And as we fast forward to today, we see that same thing. 3CR, keeping you informed about Australia's nuclear past and present. At such a time, it's important to have a voice like 3CR, steady, constant, sane and committed to a nuclear-free Australia. Hi, 
Hi, I'm Maurice. And I'm Mario. And we're Chronically, Chronically Chilled. A program that aims to provide a platform to those living with chronic and invisible illness, as well as exploring topics that impact on our daily lives. Listen to Chronically Chilled, the first Wednesday of every month at 6pm. I'm Black Betty, and you can join me for Black Noise Radio each Thursday from 2 to 3 p.m. Join me each week as I serve you up a deadly fine offering of all things black as we explore black Australia and everything fabulous it has on the offer. We'll check out and see what's making black news locally and from right around Australia. And we'll explore all things Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander and the deadly solid culture and people with a look at community news, views, music, culture and the arts. Hope you can join me for Black Noise Radio featuring black news, views, current affairs, music, culture and the arts from an Aboriginal woman's perspective. That's me, Black Betty. I'll see you Thursdays at 2. You're listening to 3CR Radio. Indigenous people in Australia and the Pacific have borne the brunt of nuclear testing. And this was not done unconsciously. We found documents in the British archives saying that, yes, there is uh, certain hazards, but only to primitive peoples, those that don't wear clothes and don't wash, unlike us British. So the sort of racism inherent in this whole operation was known and understood from the beginning that these were the casualties of a larger imperial policy and that they were able to bear the brunt because there were very small populations and didn't have much political voice. And as we fast forward to today, we see that same thing. 3CR, keeping you informed about Australia's nuclear past and present. At such a time, it's important to have a voice like 3CR, steady, constant, sane and committed to a nuclear-free Australia. And we're back at Tuesday Breakfast on 3CR. I'm going to play a track by Joyce Rice. It's called Good Morning. You're listening to Tuesday Breakfast on 3CR. We just had an incredible chat with Alison Whittaker, poet, life writer and essayist and an incredible human being. Um, and if you missed her interview and her performance of Many Girls White Linen, podcast would be, would be up soon, um, assuming that I learn how to do it eventually. I'll be doing it today. <laughs> Don't worry, it will be up this afternoon. <laughs> yeah. And I think maybe we should, um, do we have time for a song? Because I have a song in mind, but I don't know if we have yeah. time. So while I'm talking and feeling dead air, how about we play some, you know, some Bay Beyonce? Yes. As if um, we would never say yes. Can we play Formation? We can. J- just to get that energy up. Cause <laughs> God knows I need it for the rest of the day. So <laughs> I want to get, get my Formation together. That's possible. 
But in the meantime, um, did you want to talk about during the break you were talking about Beyonce um, bringing in poets? Yeah. yeah. So during the conversation between Anya and Alison, um, I was thinking about the way Beyonce has introduced poetry to a mass audience. So during one of her, well, her last, was it her last album? No, her second last album, mm-hmm. um, which was also this like movie thing production, um, she introduced an artist called Wilson Shire. So she used excerpts of her po- uh, a lot of her um, poetry. And it was just so beautiful. And it's interesting because, you know, sometimes we contain poetry in books and just think, you know, that's that's the right place for it. But introducing it to pop culture is another way as well. And like you two were discussing before, it doesn't matter the um, the way it's funneled in. The medium, yeah. Yeah, as long as it's there and it's accessible and mm. it's a starting place, right? Yeah. And we shouldn't knock it just because it's just because you think Beyonce isn't this, you know, mm. this person who j- j- just like the whole feminist debate. You know, or you know, Beyonce's um, her feminism is weak. Her feminism is diluted, and it's sort of like okay, but she's she's giving people a starting point, mm. and it's on them to go on and to explore mm. and and look at the complexities of feminism. But mm. at least she's putting it out there. You know, whether mm. it's who knows, maybe for profit. You know, that's another story. But mm. she's put it out there. Yeah, and that's better than a lot of these like. Mm. academics and poets who mm. sort of contain it behind paywalls and stuff. Mm. So It's about access, isn't it? Not everyone can afford to Absolutely. read poetry in a certain way or pay for that sort of thing. Mm. Um, and if they listen to a Beyonce song and learn more about feminism, mm. why not? Exactly. On that note. <laughs> Haters corny with that Illuminati mess. Paparazzi, catch my ass. mixed reactions to that song. <laughs> welcome back. Well, welcome to Tuesday Breakfast on 3CR Community Radio. Am I allowed to say it? We are joined in the studio by Ruby Schwartz. The Ruby Schwartz. The. <laughs> As her Twitter bio says, acknowledged on podium. <laughs> Uh, who's just popped into you and long time listeners will remember a oh, long time from last year listeners <laughs> will remember that Ruby was a member of Tuesday Breakfast. Um much loved, much missed. Mm. Yes. Mm. Who's doing amazing things in the 
um, podcast world. Mm. Um, hello. And did you... Oh, see, I can't even talk to you. You're not on air. She'll come next week and tell us all about yes, it. Yes, mm. definitely. Yeah, very exciting. But now it is time for the alternative news. Mm-hmm. So, today. Yes. Me too in China. Yes. Mm. Did you guys know about this? Is this something that people no. are like... No. Okay. No. Cool. Um, so, I guess... Um, after I went to China last year, I started following heaps of Chinese, just like writers and stuff on Twitter. And um, Me Too has really taken off. But it's just a really interesting context because um, I'm going to be choosing my words really carefully here mm. because there are a lot of restrictions around um, social media mm. and community activism and any form of what could be construed as dissidents in China. Um, so in that context, you know, it's not quite as free and easy here. You can, you know, arguably, you can name your accuser on social media and there it's um, governments aren't going to stop you from doing that and that sort of thing. Name your abuser, rather. Mm. Um, yeah. But, yeah, so it's it's interesting how it's played out. What it, well, yeah. What are you guys thinking about Yeah, it? I thought the hashtags was an interesting mm. example of that, the fact that they, you know, all of these social media platforms and websites and blogs having to come up with different hashtags mm. to say Me Too in different dialects. Or, they were, you know, they were saying, they wrote it down, Rice Bunny as yeah. an example, just to continue having the conversation mm-hmm. and speaking publicly about it. Because it gets around the blocks that the government have put on. So Facebook, Google, Twitter um, and YouTube are banned in China. Yeah. So they use Weibo. Yeah, yeah. Weibo. Weibo. Yeah. Which is like a WhatsApp type of messaging thing, but it, it has a broader application. People can it's it's more like a social network. And yeah, so yeah. so Me Too is Rice Bunny in Mandarin? Yeah. Me mm. too. M I T U. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. Yeah. Um and it was, yeah, there was a, a few examples mentioned in those articles that you shared with us, Lauren. Um, one of them that was talking about someone who spoke out about uh, assault who uh, was an intern at CCTV mm-hmm. and that she was pressured to withdraw her report. Um, I think her parents had jobs and they kind of threatened her parents' job, jobs in the, yeah, mm-hmm. and forced her to kind of... You know, yeah. So that that's pretty frightening. I guess that that's a kind of commonality, I suppose, for mm. speaking out for anyone anywhere in the world. But just looking at some of those specific cases there. Yeah, yeah, mm. yeah. And I guess there's still that reliance on the state for so much of employment and media and all of that mm. sort of thing. It, yeah, you're right. It's that intrinsic link between livelihood and mm. yeah. Yeah. Mm. What are your thoughts? Um, I have many thoughts. <laughs> <laughs> Try and distill them. <laughs> Um, but I think, yeah, just um, I just started thinking about how the Me Too movement is so different in so many countries. Mm. Uh, I think there's another event coming up as part of the Melbourne Writers Festival about Me Too in India and how that's that's also a different beast. Um, and just we forget, we we just forget that not everyone can talk about whatever they want, um, no matter how important an issue is. Mm. And I think I was very surprised that <clears throat> that I was this surprised. Mm. about how state oppression and um, the Me Too movement was linked in China. Mm, yeah. yeah, absolutely. Sometimes we forget that the co- commonalities are patriarchy mm. in a place where men dominate spaces. Mm. Um, and I, for my community, because I'm, I'm Somali Muslim, I'm a lot of things, but 
within the Muslim community, there was also a Me Too-esque thing mm. that was happening inside mosques mm. that was started by... Oh, Mosque Me Too. Too. Yeah. 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 So so I love that it's caught fire and it's mm. just spreading and it's so important. And I know people have been complaining that it's become um, like a trend or people are trying to diminish it. But Oh my goodness, speaking out against sexual harassment is the best trend I, yeah. I could have hoped for right, in right. my life. Mm. But yeah. It should yeah. go viral. Yeah, well, yeah. 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 And, I, and I'm glad that it's, it's still going and it's still happening. Mm. Um, and it's interesting to see how the cultural elements intersect with the Me Too movement. Because there's, yeah, there's that fear of speaking out in general about anything in mm. a lot of cultures. Um, and the shame and the stigma about naming abuses, especially because a lot of abuse happens in families and, you know, by people that, that yeah. you know. Mm. And on that cultural note, something that I was thinking about, I haven't been able to find any information about it, which is telling because it's definitely happening. Mm. Um, we were talking earlier about the Uyghur Muslim minority in the West mm-hmm. of China mm. and how oppressed they are by the Chinese government. Um, and it's interesting that they don't seem to have access to the Me Too China movement in the same way or the same light is not being shed on there. Mm -hmm. And I think there are parallels there with women of colour and black women Mm -hmm. in Western society who are just not given that platform or people aren't asking about their experiences Mm -hmm. or going to do that investigation. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, so there's cultural differences, but there's also these parallels in who's able to speak out, Mm -hmm. I think. And uh, a concern for me, I guess, is... Um, in certain black communities, because, you know, there's a lot of black communities, um, the black diaspora, let's just say, um, a lot of the times it's a struggle to speak out, out against black men only because mm. um, there's also this idea uh, this idea that's been um, promoted that black men are naturally aggressive, naturally violent. Mm. So when you do speak out, you fear that you're mm. adding to this, um, uh, you know, conversation that's, that's, ha- that's being had outside of our um, control. Mm. So sometimes there's this selfish idea that the West has that you can, you know, just just speak out or mm. just come out. Mm. Like, But in communities where you think as a collective or you worry about your, collect- mm. your, your community, you worry about your kin, it's not as easy. So I'm not saying don't speak out, but mm. we should also highlight the pressures mm. with speaking out. Because sometimes if... The only thing you have is community, mm. and once you and, and your community, you know, turns their back on you, or your community is critical about you, who who do you go to? Mm. That's your safe space. Mm. Mm. So and for a country that already exists and operates in a in an anti-black narrative as it is, mm. speaking out against, you know, people in your community is the most harmful thing you can do mm. to yourself. Yeah, absolutely. And you also yeah. see who 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 is easier to dispose of, like. Um, black male celebrities who who commit violence are easier mm-hmm. to like point at because that's like a, you know you're already it's a neat package that's just been delivered to you because you know of all mm-hmm. the stuff that's been put in but it's a lot harder for it's not as white men aren't that easily taken mm-hmm. out of the mm-hmm. yeah so I think that's also important to note um and, mm. and I don't think it takes away from the conversation, but mm. it's so difficult. It's, mm. And that's why I hate when people say, oh, you know, all these women are destroying men's lives, you know, and you're thinking, what about our life? Mm. Like, speaking out, we're, we're potentially destroying our livelihood, yeah. our connections. Our Which white man's life has been destroyed? Mm. Well, let's be honest. Yeah. yeah. And H- Harvey Weinstein, how long did 
did it take that guy to... And how many women had to speak out before someone was like, oh, maybe that's true? Mm. And these are the parallels, again, like this is exactly what we're seeing in China everywhere, mm. that it's it's these powerful men that no one's held to account, and even this massive wave is still not holding mm. them to account. It's shaming them a little bit, mm. but... And these men are still making movies, and they're still making money, and they're, you know, using this fame, in quotation marks, to market themselves more. Mm. Yeah, and that common thread of power being mm. such a big big factor in these cases. Mm. Yeah. Um, it would be really interesting to go to that Wheeler Centre event, I think, the Me Too in India mm. one. Absolutely. I will report back. Thank you. I mean, we're all going, I assume. <laughs> but if not, I will report back. <laughs> Otherwise, too bad, <laughs> as I would say. Like in Canada and in Australia, they cannot discharge tailings directly into the riverways. But in Pogara, they discharge their tailings in the waterways and they kill us and they say it's okay. You are just being killed for trespassing. Subscribe to 3CR, bringing you voices and opinions the mainstream media don't dare touch. They have the exclusive right to extract the mineral below six feet, but that exclusive right does not permit them also to kill people. Who does the killing? The company has uh, specially arranged security forces. Subscribe today. Call 9419-8377. you got to remember, Nainok's a special day for us, fellas. Mind who we are. Every year for NAIDOC Week, 3CR Community Radio gives voice to our Indigenous brothers and sisters through Beyond the Bars, Australia's only live prison broadcast. I am a black, black man. NAIDOC means a lot to me. It's about identity and also about past and present. NAIDOC means a lot to me for my family and my people. And the people about our rights. You can access audio from current and past Beyond the Bars broadcasts via the 3CR website. Go to 3cr.org.au forward slash beyond the bars and either listen to or download audio from Australia's only live prison broadcasts. Happy <laughs> You're listening to Tuesday Brecky at 3CR. What a show we've had today. So I just wanted to quickly announce an event that's happening tomorrow. Is tomorrow the 14th? No, today. Um, so Dr. Joseph... <laughs> sorry. <laughs> Me and dates do not work well together. Um, Dr. Joseph Gerson is giving a talk about nuclear um, conflict and how nuclear annihilation stands in the way of peace. So it sounds like quite an interesting event. It's going to be held... No, it's tomorrow. I'm very sorry, everyone listening. It's tomorrow, 7pm, at the Unitarian Church in East Melbourne. Yeah, we'll definitely have that on Facebook as well, just in case um, (laughs) George's telling (laughs) through them off. Thank you so much for... um, Having us for our amazing guests, especially Alison, who is just the bomb, and she is more than welcome to come back again and again and Refresher. again. <laughs> and you can um, catch her poem um, later on, and also download it as well um, once you download our podcast and her book. Yes, her book, mm-hmm. definitely. Peace. <laughs>